Have we got a show for you? I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. This is the podcast. The friends will be along in a few minutes. Welcome. I'm sorry that I wasn't around last week. It was Thanksgiving and I also had a pretty nasty cold and I also flew down to Reno for like two days to MC a steampunk festival, which was a lot of fun. Uh, Alaska Airlines is garbage. I highly recommend you never fly with them. At some point I will write that whole story out, but uh, yeah, uh, let's see what's going on. Uh, Disney Plus is a thing. I got it. I've been watching The Mandalorian. I really like The Mandalorian. It's pretty good. There. I've commented on something in the current cultural zeitgeist, and I'll let us speak of it no more. Strangely recommends in 200 words or less, including these 11. Who imposed this rule? Me? Ugh. Knights at the Circus by Angela Carter. This book is part confection and part fever dream, and somehow both things feel absolutely right. Ostensibly, this is the story of a young reporter following a circus performer named Fevers across Europe as he attempts to discover if the enormous swan wings that sprout from her back are real. In the end, does such a quest really matter? This book is in many ways the antithesis of Sarah Groon's wretched writing on circus. Instead, like Aaron Morgenstein's The Night Circus, Carter imagines the world of the circle as a realm of dreams and fictive hopes. Unlike Morgenstein, however, Carter finds the darker side of things, dragging the entire company of Fever's circus on a quixotic journey into the frozen hell of Siberia. And yet, it is this very journey into Hades that gives the story much of its beauty. For what is the dream when we awake with but a memory of it? Equal parts appealing, appalling, kinky, heartwarming, adventurous, and magical, this is my second favorite book about circus, and it just might be your first. This is my chat with Elizabeth Emerson. I had never met her. I had never heard of her until a couple of weeks ago when I found out I was going to be wearing a piece by her. Definitely check out the Instagram post for this episode because I've got some photos of me modeling this incredible collar she made. It's it's like thousands of these beetle wing carapaces. She talks about it in our chat, but I just like go look at that photo. It's absolutely stunning. It's probably the nicest thing I've ever worn on my body. Uh, that collar is just incredible. I, I cannot recommend going and looking at the photos highly enough. Elizabeth was a wonderful person to chat to. Sometimes I, I meet someone brand new and we sort of kind of get to know each other over time, but like immediately I felt like she and I were on the same level. We both love finding old things and antiques and and sort of understanding old stuff that other people don't seem to care about that much. This is absolutely the kind of chat I love featuring on this podcast. I hope you folks enjoy my chat with Elizabeth as much as I did. Without further ado, here's my chat with Elizabeth Emerson. Bless it has amazing food. Does it? Their chicken tenders are like curry crispy, like exterior, I'm like excited. coriander or something. Oh my god, they're good. I'm gonna I'm gonna get some of that as soon as we're done. So the hot dogs in the morning were obscene. Obscene. 
Oh. They hang off the butt. They hang off the butt. <laughs> there's no great way to eat them. I'm telling you. There's there's so many jokes involved in that one. I can't even <laughs> can't even describe it. All right. Uh, so it's Elizabeth. How, how would you like me to introduce you? I guess. Well, I guess it's like my my what do you say stage name or your maker name. My gnome de plume or yeah. whatever is actually Emerson. That's Emerson. The last name. So it's like Elizabeth Emerson. Mm-hmm. My given name is, or not given, um, but last name is Dupree. Dupree. Dupree of the field. Yeah, but Emerson's like my favorite, and I'm All in right. the process of getting it legally changed. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. As as a human named Strangely, I am familiar with such things. <laughs> uh, yes. So, d- did you did you take that on for artistic purposes, or is it just so, is it more lo- is it a larger thing for you? Um. Well, I mean, the author is probably mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Um, and I like alliteration, so the E-E. And to be honest, I found this beautiful antique monogram that was two E's intertwined. And I was like, that's my logo, and I will find a name to fit it. Amazing. So I'm like, okay. So kind of like all all the bits fell together. Yeah, it's a, a name change or a, a lot of things in life. People are like, what was the moment? You know, like it's something like you see a lot in the sort of, like with gay coming out stories and stuff like that, people are like, "What? What was the moment when you realized?" And like, for most of my like queer friends, it's there's not a moment. It's not like they 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 walked into a grocery store and saw a man in pumps and were like, "Aha!" <laughs> you know the man in pumps that we all see. Uh, Depends on what city you're in. Exactly. I, I guess more that might be more of a Vegas thing than a Reno thing, but. Where I'm from is, I'm in. I'm from Oregon, in Oregon right now, uh-huh. and I was like, "Oh, Oregon! It's totally going to be liberal." I moved yeah. to the reddest county of the entire state, uh-huh. and it is the last place where the Ku Klux Klan had like active membership. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and it's really lives up to its whatever. It is scary. That is so wild. I was just telling someone about that today. I live in. Uh, I live in Washington, and people think of Washington as this really liberal state, but it's yeah. like 80% of the population lives in 20% of the area, and they're the liberals, but then there's this whole other huge area yeah. of the state. You expect deliverance music. Ding, ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> That's what I expect when I go. <laughs> so, Elizabeth Emerson is a... I have not actually come to a because the problem is is that I do a lot of different things mm-hmm. so my main thing that I do is I provide like ribbons and trims and laces to studios so like the most recent uh, Tim Burton show on mm-hmm. the Dumbo I provided a lot of those trims that you see um, on the actors and actresses mm-hmm. in it and those actually came from a costume designer from 1917. So oh, wow. he actually, I could trace everything back to like the person who used it. And to me, like that um, tangible story is a big part of what I do. Mm-hmm. I travel to Europe twice a year and buy stuff and then bring them back. And I research everything, like all my rings and different things. I find out the makers and who did it and where they were from. So it's, everything has a kind of a story to it. Yeah, the, the, the continuity of material culture is so fascinating. Because, the, the, I mean, things age and wear and everything like that, but at the same time, if you 
you know, you pick up a book that's a hundred years old, it's roughly the same weight and kind of feeling as it would have been a hundred years ago. It's a, it's a kind of tactile time travel and the same thing with yep. old clothes and jewelry and things like that. And I guess jewelry would hold up a lot better than like textiles. Yes. Um, and so it, and the problem is with jewelry, especially really old pieces, is that so many things have been melted down mm-hmm. and recycled. So especially this huge gold craze, like, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, everybody melted like grandma's stuff down and like took it to the gold thing and sold it off. And it, everything got melted down. And that's been a huge issue for me mm-hmm. because everybody always asks me like, online like well what's the weight of the piece I'm like I'll tell you right now it's more than the spot price in other words how much gold is selling for and I do it intentionally because I don't want you melting it down right that is that is why I have a hard time identifying with like modern culture yep and why I I identify as kind of this old timey thing not necessarily any specific era the steampunk thing is not quite my jam even though we are here at a steampunk festival. But just the the sort of the old-fashioned kind of a thing. I, I actually... You're the second person who works with jewelry who's been on the program. There was a, a jeweler who has a studio near mine, and she came on, and she was talking about how material... Like, there's something about jewelry because it's this piece of art that you can wear. Yep. And the idea of it being more than the sum of its parts... And so to hear you be like, no, I'm pricing it above the spot price on purpose because I want this to be appreciated as the piece. So you, you're you're sourcing these things from all over the world, it sounds exactly. like. Exactly. Mostly, I, pretty much everything is from Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, my significant other is from, is British, actually. Mm-hmm. And he... Um, it enables us to import things and free, more freely move right. within it. Hopefully Brexit doesn't occur because that's going to throw a real monkey wrench in my life because a lot of my stuff comes from France. Oh, cool. So you mentioned that you worked with the, the Tim Burton movie. Mm-hmm. And that, that's modern-day Tim Burton. And I feel like a lot of a lot of us have complicated feelings on him now. And I, like, I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but the, the costumes in that film in the Dumbo film I thought were one of the standout things that that was something that was still tactile and felt like what kind of the older Tim Burton where everything was made and very present and not green screened because the the sets in that movie are so green screened yeah I actually didn't know what I was working on so I wasn't doing any of the costume designing like Uh that was to somebody else Mm -hmm. but I had um through a referral from a theater I worked with, the woman who was essentially the buyer and was sourcing all these things and doing the trim designs and whatnot came to me and was like, I need this era of stuff. So I have over 5,000 rolls of extant antique French and Swiss ribbon. I have one of the largest collections in the country that people can come to and buy from. So they'll tell me, I need a pink ruffled edge thing of this shade and mm-hmm. I can give it to them. I'm like, I, I just have these things. My whole house is like a museum of textiles. It's amazing. I mean, if you ever can, like, come, I always welcome people because it takes an artist to appreciate it. Oh, that sounds so cool. So I didn't know I was really working 
on this. And uh-huh. I kind of figured it out, and I was asked not to say anything. So once the movie was finally right. like out, then I or the trailers came out, mm-hmm. then I could say something, and I was so excited because I'm like I could see them like on the big screen, which is yeah. neat. I'm like I sold them that, even though you know I didn't have any part of the design. <laughs> But you still contributed, like, your dedication to preserving these things is what contributed to them being present in this really big way and so visible. You know, it's it's the kind of thing that if you just find one of those in isolation somewhere, it's not that interesting. It's like every once in a while you'll be at an antique store and you'll see a player piano roll, and it's just kind of like, okay... But, like, I have a friend friend in Australia who has over a thousand of them. Yes. And that becomes something that is worthwhile. And you you can't... Stuff like that, you can't quite do it still with the internet. And I love that. So my biggest thing right now that I'm doing Mm -hmm. is I'm actually getting an intern in December, my first. And I'm taking my entire collection and photographing it. And making it available online. Mm Mm-hmm on my website so that people can see it and it's going to be geared towards costumers so that you can zoom in and see the details and, and the things texture. will have actual scale like a ruler in the picture because <laughs> you they see things on the net and museum sites mm-hmm. and it's like the whole but I want to see the sum of the parts I want to see how it's put together I want to see the detail and everybody else in my realm wants that too right. and so this is specifically to not only preserve it, because I think like electronics has a part to play in it, um, but to make it available. I mean, people can't appreciate something that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 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 archivist work, I guess you could almost call it. I I just last week was at the Washington State Archives, the the Federal Archives, where they have all these old letters and things, and they were talking about how there's so many so many things that they just can't preserve because they don't have space for it and they have to choose what to keep and then also there's like the fe- the, so the Washington State Archives it works in with the federal archives but then there's all these things the federal archives won't take because they're just not deemed valuable and like there there's no ribbon archive no but you decided like how did you decide to do that what happened I had a piece dissolved in my hands so I picked up this beautiful piece that I bought in France, and I knew the story behind it. And there was this lovely lilac color that had been worn in a half-mourning outfit. So women changed the color of what they were wearing at what stage in mourning they were mm-hmm. from the loss of a loved one. And I knew the story behind it, and it was this beautiful lavender, dusky color, and I picked it up, and it shattered. So silk breaks apart in certain instances, and this piece literally dissolved. And I was like, a piece of history just went away. And so looking at that, I was like, what can I do? These things are not going to be around in another 100 years because of how things were dyed. Um, Like silk, especially silk laces, silk fabrics, ribbons, they're all shattering. Like every moment in time, they're breaking down. And so it's the same thing like collect morning jewelry with hair. Exact same thing, like they're degrading. And so, yeah, I decided I want to take those and I want to make them, A, available to people for free, and B, I want there to actually be a record of these. These are things that nobody is taking the time to actually really photograph. 
Um, so that's how I decided. I had a piece dissolve. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the magician Ricky Jay. No, I'm not. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he had one of the world's largest collections of dice. Uh, particularly dice from pre-1930. And mo- most of them were made of celluloid, which again is something that breaks down over time with the, the off-gassing or whatever there, that all of a sudden, one day, they'll just start bubbling and dissolving into this powder. And so he had this huge collection, they started dissolving. And so he got together with a photographer and had her sort of photograph these things as they were falling apart and published a book on them. And there's something that I am very drawn to in that, this idea that, like, yeah, like you said, this is not going to be around a hundred years from now. And the people who care, there are so few people who actually care about it because there's no utility to it. It doesn't help the algorithm on online or anything like that. It's, it's, it's sort of this, like, quixotic quest at preservation. Yeah, it really is. And it's one of those things that I get asked about all the time. Like, I wish there was some reference for these things. And my thing through this whole process, because of my science background, is if I find a solution for something, like I will take it apart, redo it, look at something. How can I make a problem turn into an opportunity? And Mm -hmm. that's what I'm doing with my project is to take something that I know is degrading. I mean, and the only people who are really interested in purchasing those pieces are going to be people in historic costuming and first shows like Downton Abbey mm-hmm. um, and like Masterpiece Theater I worked with previously and those type of things because they need that look. But Couture is dying, like modern. Right. So having a beautiful dress, like handmade, nobody wants to spend you know my most expensive historic dress is like sixteen hundred dollars and that's i paid for the fabric and so it's just the work that went into it all the hand stitching and different things i was willing to pay for it Mm -hmm. most people are not what's it that thing though like you there's it's like the difference between getting a painting and getting a photograph like printed out even on a nice printer it's like it's a different thing there's something about those imperfections that gives it life and personality. Yeah, it really does. I think even between a digitally printed piece and a actual traditional film development piece, even that small difference is enormous. Mm-hmm. If you look at them 10 years later, like there's a palladium like platinum processing that the posits actually like a metal on it. So you see a small sheen to different shades and darknesses and colors and it adds, it becomes a piece of art. Whereas if that same thing is printed out on a printer, to me it just fades over time and just looks cheap. And it's not something you're gonna hold on to. Unfortunately. I have to ask you about the pain I endured earlier today. Uh, And I, I say that jokingly, but I wore one of your pieces today for the fashion show and uh, it was a little pokey, but it looked so good. I, I'll post photos on my Instagram to go with this chat. So tell me about that, that, that collar that you made. It's, it's, I genuinely think it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever worn 
ever. It's so amazing. I, <laughs> I say that it was painful. Like, it was just a little tight because it was fitted for you. Yes. But then I ended up wearing it. So, like, tell me about the, the process of that because the, they're... Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm getting all gushy because it's so good. Like, Thank you. Okay, you go. <laughs> well, to you, like, the Glunston, having a loss for words is funny. Um, the piece, I was approached by um, Cindy, mm-hmm. who is uh, a such a partial partner in putting this piece on. And she asked me to make us something that would go with one of her courses. And she didn't give me any specifications beyond that. She's like, make me a collar necklace. I was like, okay. I was like, hmm. And I couldn't come up with something that I really liked that didn't look, like, wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I was sitting there and sorting Elytra beetle wings, which are the little green outer wings to a type of beetle that's raised in Southeast Asia for food. So the wings are actually a byproduct of food industry. That's amazing. Yes. And it's got to be like a sustainable thing to be farming because they're beetles. Exactly. So they're not harvested in the wild. They mm-hmm. aren't hurting anything. Right. And it's actually a, an amazing source of protein. Insects are one of the best ways of getting a bang for your buck, so to say, in mm-hmm. terms of protein production versus farming animals. And so I absolutely fell in love with these several years ago, and I now teach workshops on working with them. So I teach people like how to use them and how to do things with them. And I was like, I had never done anything steampunk before, so I'm like, well, I kind of want something that's almost like industrial looking, but yet still has a historical aspect because before sequins were made, that's what they used. They use these beetle wings. So there's beautiful dresses yeah. covered in them. That's so cool. Thank you. And it's, so what I did is I actually, and I can show you pictures. <laughs> I, I'm like, how do I make this into a collar? I'm like, I have to make a base. So I took buckram, which is this stuff that hats are made out of, and it's stiff. Mm-hmm. And she sent me a picture of you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well... He's kind of on the, the thinner side, and I didn't have another model because it really needed to be properly fitted. So I took wet buckram and glue mm-hmm. and pasted myself with it <laughs> and sat there still uh-huh. for over two hours while this thing dried and then had to ask Chris to cut me out of it. I'm like, I need a straight line right down my spine. Oh my gosh. So I was like rigid. It was like being a full body cast all the way up to my chin. And it was so uncomfortable. I was dying. Yeah. And so once it dried, cut it off, and then I put it on a mannequin and just cut out a shape that I thought was beautiful. That's incredible. And then you glued the wing the wings on individually. Yes. It has over a thousand wings on it. And they have to be sorted into right and left hand sided wings to get them to lay correctly. And let me just tell you, when you're looking for the left-sided wings, you only find right ones and vice versa. So I was, like, cursing the beetle wings as I'm like, why am I doing this? How many and How many hours? I have over 40 hours into that piece. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I spent so much time on it, and it was actually not finished when I came here. So I actually had to finish it at a place like at 
I was like dying. I'm like, if I ever, I don't have fingerprints left. So if you want to go commit a crime, (laughs) (laughs) I have burned all of my fingerprints off completely. So right now is the perfect time to go be like naughty um, because of all the hot glue. Oh, (laughs) because it's industrial hot. So it's a high heat temperature one Uh so that they wouldn't pop off because I knew that you'd have to like bend it Mm -hmm. and it needed to stay put. Oh man, that whole thing was insane. And then I lined it in cotton velvet because I didn't want it to be super right. uncomfortable. And it actually, on me, it corsets up the back and it looks very, it looks, yeah, it's very SM-esque, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, it has a little bit of that vibe, but also, like, I feel like, you know, it's like the armor that, like, the fairy queen would wear in, like, a Maleficent film or something like that. Exactly. To me, it reminds me of um, in the show. Um, oh, it's gonna! It's escaping me. Um, Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. the Queen of Dragons, yeah, and the mother, well, mother of dragons. Yeah, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, it's Mother of Dragons. Like to me, that's what she would wear going mm-hmm. into battle because it reminds me of dragon scales. That's so cool. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I this was amazing. I know we're we're both we both want to run and get dinner, so we'll, we'll wrap this up. But <laughs> you were an amazing guest. I just like I I didn't know anything about you other than the fact that you had made that collar that I got to wear, and I was like, we have to chat, and <laughs> I have to come see your ribbon museum at some point. It's just like I love stuff like that so much. It's You're so welcome cool. Welcome to always come. Thank you so much. Wasn't that delightful? She is just fantastic. I wish we had had more time, but during the hustle and bustle of the High Desert Steam Yule Expo, we were only able to go hide in a closet for about 20 minutes. So that is what we got. I was suffering from some laryngitis. She'd been up all night the night before, like working on a thing, and we just sort of did it. So I hope you folks enjoyed that. If you want to know more about Elizabeth, I highly recommend following her on Instagram at Elizabeth Emerson Designs. She is a delightful human, and I hope she comes back on the podcast at some point. Here's a thought. This podcast will never be popular. I don't say that in any kind of defeatist way. I'm just stating a fact. This fact is a result of the deliberate choice I made as the creator of this podcast. After more than a decade of making my living as a performance artist creating things for public consumption, I've learned a few lessons. One of the most important and hardest to take in is that in our modern algorithmically curated lives, there is no way to guarantee that you'll be seen or heard. Anybody could see or hear you, but there's no guarantee that they will. What's more, chasing that algorithm is nothing more than a recipe for unhappiness. Uh, Some personal experience. A few years ago, I was hoping to go viral on YouTube. I wrote a song about the current state of Doctor Who and my feelings about it. The song was full of name drops, references, and all the kinds of nerd candy we geeks love when we're getting a song about our favorite piece of media. I wrote and posted this song at the height of the global Doctor Who craze surrounding the 50th anniversary special. Doctor Who seemed like it was everywhere at least if you were a fan of it. Everyone on my social media feeds seemed really into it. Fan theories were flying around and people were having deep and emotional connections to a character most of them had been completely unaware of prior to the 2005 revival. 
As a young person who had watched old episodes of the program on PBS in the 90s, I was elated that one of the things I loved had found global acclaim and acceptance. Similar to my feelings when Guardians of the Galaxy became a household name back in 2014. I've never understood people getting annoyed when something they like becomes popular, but that's a thought for another day. Where was I? Oh yes, chasing that sweet, sweet algorithm. So I wrote my song, recorded a video for it, and threw it out into the internet. It ended up being one of the least engaged with things I'd ever produced. To this day, I'm not entirely sure anyone has ever watched the video all the way to the end. Actually, I just went and looked it up, and it's got a hair over 450 views, so someone watched it? Maybe like one person a bunch? If you're out there, please let me know. I'd love to hear what you thought of that song. Anyway, point is, it didn't really stick, and it certainly did not go viral. To make matters worse, I did not really feel good about making it. I had fun making it, sure, but something felt off. It had the same feeling as digging a ditch or carrying a heavy suitcase. To be sure, digging a ditch feels good because of the physical exercise and perhaps the suitcase is full of reclaimed Aztec gold that you've stolen and are repatriating to those it was taken from, but it's still labor. One of the reasons that I got into art is that I did not want things to feel like work, which doesn't mean I do not work hard at my art, but it has to do with the feeling of something being worth doing. Not for the potential reward, but for its own sake. If you're repatriating stolen Aztec gold to Mesoamerica because you're going to get a hefty reward, the feeling in doing so is much less than if you did it out of plucky humanitarian spirit. So too with writing a song to chase the algorithm. If the thing doesn't catch on, you're left with something you created for a, dare I say, cynical purpose. Now this is not me getting down on friends who make things in an attempt to catch a wave and embiggen their audiences. I myself am guilty of doing it on my other podcast, Pilot House. But at least over on Pilot House, I still had the joy of talking about Deadwood with my dear friend Sarah Shea, someone I can never get enough of. And that's the point I'm trying to make, even if the thing we chose was a bit of a swipe at the roaring Niagara Falls of culture rushing past us, we were doing it together. Our togetherness was a key part of why we started the podcast, and the main reason it's still going. We like making things together. I like making things. I write books and songs and circus shows and clown routines. I take photos with my cell phone and pretend I can perform magic tricks. I enjoy creating moments with strangers and old friends. I like making things. All of that is why I started this podcast. I knew that 2020 would be a difficult year for me creatively. So much of men my mental energy over the next 15 months is going to be channeled into school. What little room around the edges of that needs to have an outlet for my still prodigious creative energy, hence this podcast. When I first thought about making a podcast, I considered making it one where I reviewed movies and talked about popular culture. I love movies and books and shows and music. It seems like a natural fit, and yet, I'm sure most of you could name a half dozen podcasts or vloggers covering similar topical material off the top of your head. I'm going for something different here. Sure, this podcast talks all about books and films and bands, but they're not on the wider radar. That's why so much of my content is about older things. I doubt many people out there in the world were begging for a decade late takedown of Water for Elephants. God, that book sucks! But I had feelings about it. And it was stuck in my craw. 
for lack of a better expression. I figured you folks might find it interesting. An added bonus to this is that the accessibility of many of these pieces of media is higher too. I mean, you can find Water for Elephants. You know what? I'm sick of saying the name of that book. I'm going to call it Circus for Dummies from now on. Where was I? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can find Circus for Dummies in any thrift shop for about a dollar. By the way, if you liked Circus for Dummies, I'm not trying to demean you. I'm sure many folks are capable of having a good time with that book. I'm just not one of them. But that's kind of the thing here. I will go to the mat over my hatred of Circus for Dummies any day of the week. Happily, a debate over that book has no bearing on day-to-day life. To the best of my knowledge, no knucklehead politicians have tweeted about it. Nobody has used it to advance a radical anti-immigration policy against elephants or little people or something. It's just a book. And we can all yell about it together. I started this podcast as a place to get away from things and cultivate my inner life a little bit more. I want to talk about the books I read and the films I watch, but so many of them are not in the current zeitgeist. No one can keep up with that. It's like trying to drink from a fire hose. Sometimes I'm late to the party. I mean, I'm only just now checking out Star the Clone Wars Wars. (laughs) I will never not find that mispronunciation funny. It's not amazing, but it's a lot of fun. See? Late to the party. I don't know if I've ever publicly stated that I think the best television program of all time is Daniel Knopf's HBO show Carnival. The series only lasted two seasons before cancellation, and yet... It has fans out there, so many that they actually had a con con for it, like about five, six years ago. Carney Con, I think they called it. I love talking about this show. It's one of my favorites. It's a beautiful show. It has incredible set design, costumes. Everything is just amazing. Sarah Shea and I did an episode about the pilot of that show over on Pilot House. Go check it out. Over the years, I've introduced at least four friends to Carnival. And I enjoy rewatching it every couple of years on my own. I love talking about that show with anyone who will listen. It's a gorgeous program, and based on how trends seem to be working in our world, it will probably get a revival at some point in the future. I can talk about that show here on this podcast without having to worry about pleasing the almighty algorithm. So there you have it. This podcast will never, I guess I should never say never, this podcast will probably never be popular. And that's okay. I hope those of you who listen come here for exactly that reason. As the saying goes, I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. I need more coffee. Song of the Week. This is a (laughs) song by Stephen Collins Foster called If You've Only Got a Mustache. This was brought to my attention by... Who else? My dear friend, Sarah Shea. She is in a production of a show called The Panic of 1890 about the stock panic and how it affects a bunch of people at like a kind of a speakeasy type bar. It's going on down in Seattle. Um, I think today is the last day of the show. So by the time this goes up, I think it will be done. But, you know, go check out The Panic of 1890 if it's still playing in Seattle uh, when you hear this. Anyway, Sarah dug up a bunch of old songs that would have been appropriate to have a couple of musical troubadours playing, and uh, she had found this one and sent it to me, and I was like, I have to learn how to play this. The song is so good. So 
Anyway, thanks, Sarah. And without further ado, this is If You've Only Got a Mustache.
I uh, was gone for about a week and a half from my art studio and I came back and I found a couple of pieces of mail and I need to find out what this is. There is a plastic bag uh, and it's addressed to me here at the studio and it says it has time sensitive material in it. So I'm going to see what this is. All right. There's a note in here. It says, to the tall mouse from the tiny clown. This was a blind buy. Whatever the words say, I hope it's not something horrible. If it is, wear it to confuse people or to small kids. Or when you're on a date with a blind person. Hope it fits. Table of contents. One grab bag t-shirt. Okay, so there's a t-shirt. Oh, it's from Lithographs. Okay, so this is a t-shirt um, that has a picture on it. I'll, I'll post this on the Instagram. It has a picture on it of like two people and then there's a bunch of text uh, here. It's like a large amount of text. My goodness, there's... Brianna flung her door open with a squeal of metal from the unoiled hinges. Her silent look of scorn made Roger flush red in the dim glow of the dome light over the desk. He was back almost before Roger had gotten out of the car himself. I don't know what this is. The tantalizing light brown of her areolas drew his eye. My goodness, this is a saucy t-shirt. Wow. I I don't know what this is from. Um if anybody recognizes any of these uh let me know. This is Yes, but aside from that Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? I asked politely. What? He stared at me as though I had lost my mind on the spot. Never mind, it's a bit out of your frame of reference. I only met, did you meet anyone useful before you came to defend your marital rights? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I don't know who sent me this, but this is so wonderful. This is, it looks like the entire text of something. I could feel the small vibration of a laugh under my cheek. A, you did. I will, oh, it's, this is apparently attempting to, to be Scottish. Oh no, now I've lost it. There's so much, te uh, oh, here it is. Uh, wow. I know this is not exactly riveting podcasting, listening to me. What do you think of the dollhouse, Sassanach? What the hell? What do you think? Mmm, he said, kissing the tiny bulge. <laughs> I don't know who you are, person who sent me this, but this is amazing. Uh, I will post a photo of this uh, on the Instagram Whoever you are, thank you so much. I'm sorry, I'm still laughing. Uh, if you want to send me something like this shirt, you can do that by addressing it to Strangely, 1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington, 98225, number 21. I look forward to getting more weird stuff like this. And that about does it for Strangely and Friends, the podcast this week. It's... I know I've been off for a couple weeks, but we should be back on the regular schedule now. Uh, special shout out to my newest patron on Patreon, 
Hi, Tina. I'm so glad you're here for me reading saucy t-shirt prose. And uh, welcome to the party. Uh, Tell your friends. (laughs) If you are a listener to this podcast, but you've not yet become a supporter, I highly, highly recommend you go check out patreon.com slash strangely to find out how you can help me make more of whatever this is. Thank you so much for listening, folks. I hope you all have the best week. So this man walks in to a pharmacy and he asks the pharmacist, uh, excuse me, um, do you carry cyanide? And the pharmacist lady, she's like, I can't sell you cyanide. Are you crazy? He's like, well, let me show you something. So he pulls out a manila envelope, and inside the manila envelope, there's a picture of her husband and his wife together in bed. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize you had a prescription. <laughs> Perfect. Thank I can't you. laugh at my own joke, but yes, there you oh, go. Oh, no, that's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Strangely and Friends, the podcast is a Herringbone Society production.